Was Edgar Allan Poe killed by election fraud? We'll find out on this week's The Internet Says It's True. Hey there, welcome. Hi, hello. It's The Internet Says It's True, where if you listen every week, you're going to learn something that sounds like it's made up, but it's really true, and this is part of the WCBE podcast experience. My name is Michael Kent. This is episode 162. 160. Can you believe we've been doing this for 162 weeks? Uh, This week, we'll be talking about a rare form of election fraud you've probably never heard of, and a really strange story about it. We actually did an episode a while back that involved Edgar Allan Poe and uh, how he wrote a story that was eerily similar to something that happened long after it was written. Well, in this episode, we'll talk about another thing regarding Poe that maybe it's just a coincidence, but to my eye, it's not. To my eye, this is a mystery solved. I'll let you be the judge after hearing the story. It's going to be great. Oh, boy, is this great. If you haven't already, please take a moment to go to the Apple Podcasts app and give the show a five-star review. It's super easy to do. If you do that, please also include some text as a like as a review. And it can be complete nonsense. It doesn't matter what you write. It just helps boost me in the ratings, gets more listeners, and I uh, really appreciate that. I was thinking of giving this place five stars. And... If you want to go above and beyond, consider becoming a patron of the show by signing up at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. Folks, there are called tizzitors. And when you do that, you get some goodies sent to you in the mail, as well as access to all the free content that is only available to tizzitors. I am once again asking for your financial support. You can join at patreon.com slash Michael Kent, and you can sign up for a free trial today. So since we're going to talk about a form of antiquated election fraud, it makes sense that we start this episode talking about it in a current context. In May of 2017, Executive Order 13799 was signed by the President of the United States. Having claimed that millions of people had voted illegally in the 2016 presidential election, former President Trump signed this order to establish the Presidential Advisory Commission on Election Integrity. The mission of this executive order was to have the commission seek out and prove true claims of voter fraud. The commission was headed by its vice chair, Chris Kobach, the Kansas Secretary of State. Now, Kobach had been outspoken in the past with claims of voter fraud, so he was a good fit for the job, and the former president had lost the popular vote by 3 million votes that year, and he claimed that he would have won the popular vote had it not been for millions of illegal immigrants voting. Trump was using a heavily criticized study from Old Dominion University to support these claims. And the study said that, apparently said, that 14% of non-residents were registered to vote. But the study was not only panned by the larger academic community, Trump himself was reading the study wrong. It didn't say that. The Department of Justice conducted a study in 2006 to specifically examine voter fraud, and they had found that out of 197 million votes cast for federal candidates, this was between 2002 and 2005, only 40, 40, 40 voters had been indicted for voter fraud, and only 26 of those resulted in guilty convictions. A study from the Brennan Center found just 30 cases of non-residents voting nationwide out of 23 million votes cast in the surveyed regions. And as part of the president's voter fraud commission, they asked for states to send them a ton of information about voters, including voter histories, birth dates, felony conviction records, and partial social security numbers. So many states refused to give this information. It was against their laws and the constitutions, you know, so they couldn't do that. The commission refused to share the data they did collect with its Democratic members. 
so they sued for the information and the court ordered that it share its working documents with its Democratic members. Having not found any widespread voter fraud and embarrassed by the multiple roadblocks and lawsuits, the Trump White House disbanded the commission after less than a year. In a more modern story, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis proposed spending $5.7 million to establish a voter fraud task force in his state. Out of around 11 million votes cast in Florida, they found about 20 cases of voter fraud. So they're spending, if, if they were spending $5.7 million, that's about $285,000 being spent per case of proven fraud. And despite many, many efforts to show the opposite, there hasn't been any evidence of voter fraud to the level that would impact an election result. The modern system of voting just makes it too difficult. Even in the election of 2020, that saw many people using mail-in ballots due to the pandemic. That's not to say there isn't such a thing as voter fraud. There is. But it's not anywhere what it would need to be in order to change an election result. The Brookings Institution verified data on voter fraud from the Conservative Heritage Foundation and concluded that, quote, there is surprisingly little voter fraud and not nearly enough to justify blocking vote-by-mail systems in a pandemic, end quote. More realistic and impactful efforts are things like voter intimidation or voter suppression. But as far as actual fraudulent voting, it's not really happening as much as some people think. There's just little benefit when compared with the costs. Hefty fines and huge prison sentences await those who get caught, and migrants would face deportation. It's a problem that seems to have been all but eradicated, but that wasn't always the case. In fact, Voter fraud used to run rampant in the U.S. In the 19th and early 20th centuries, these huge political machines controlled local vote locations. They had all kinds of corrupt methods of getting their candidates elected. One of the things that used to happen in the case of the corrupt Tammany Hall political machine in New York was that they would offer new immigrants jobs and fast-tracked immigration, an agreement that they would then vote for their candidate and they used the threat of a job loss along with the threat of actual physical violence to enforce that bargain. One of the more interesting things they would do is have their voters grow their beards out leading up to the election day, and then they encouraged people to shave a little bit of the beard each time, changing their appearance enough to fool the poll workers. They'd have a central location, usually some party house, where they would loosen these folks up with free food and booze. They'd register voters under fake names and if the folks didn't agree to take part in their fraudulent schemes, they had a whole team of tough guys ready to beat them up. These voters were often referred to as floaters. Some places even rigged ballot boxes with false bottoms and pedestals to stuff the ballot with fake votes. And at one point, ballot boxes were made of clear glass to address this issue. But maybe one of the weirdest types of voter fraud, and one I had never heard of, was something called cooping. So briefly, Cooping is pretty similar to what I described above, but with more force and violence. Basically, the corrupt powers would hire these tough guys to go out and find homeless people, give them free booze, and drug them. Then bring them to a central location. Usually they'd keep them cooped up in a hotel room with all the free booze and drugs they wanted. They would then walk them to polling locations and back, having them change clothes and appearances each time. It was basically voter fraud mixed with kidnapping or human trafficking. They'd have someone go to a polling place a half a dozen times with half a dozen different outfits and disguises. And this act, the act of cooping, may actually help explain one of the literary world's biggest mysteries. And we'll talk about it after a quick break. 
There was a time that humans used 100% organic products as healing balms and moisturizers for their skin. Well, I've partnered with an awesome company that wants to get back to those times. Fatco sells organic and responsibly made tallow-based skincare products. For centuries, humans used tallow in skin moisturizers and healing balms, but unfortunately, the topical application of these fats seemed to stop around the same time that animal fats stopped being considered part of a healthy diet. A lot of modern skincare products do more harm than good by stripping your skin of its natural oils. Let's change that. You can try them out now at fatco.com and get 15% off your order by using my promo code INTERNET. Go to theinternetsaysitstrue.com slash deals for the link. If you love listening to this podcast every week and you want to show your support, that would mean a great deal to me. You can do that by becoming a Patreon member. We've got members at all levels, whether you want to pledge $1 a month or $10 a month. Just think about the value that you receive from this show. And if you like the histories and the stories that you learn about or the jokes that you hear, and if you think that they're worth it, consider signing up. For that, you get every episode ad-free and a week early, access to bonuses like the unedited videos of the guest appearances, and 20% off all merchandise. You can sign up today at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. That's patreon.com slash Michael Kent. We're living through the most dynamic time in human history, and what we do as leaders matter. We are the ones that create the leverage to shift directions of our companies, our nonprofits, and our communities. As a leader or an emerging leader, please join me for a dynamic conversation with top thought leaders, academics, and executives to learn more about how to elevate your leadership. I'm Maureen Metcalf. Join us at the WCBE podcast experience at wcbe.org. Edgar Allan Poe is regarded as the first American writer to earn his income from writing alone. And although he's a household name now, he spent much of his life struggling financially. Part of this was because he authored his many popular short stories in a time when copyright law wasn't a thing in the U.S., so his works were often copied without his permission and published without giving him assent. His most financially successful piece of writing during his lifetime was The Gold Bug. It was a short story about hidden treasure and a man who claims to have seen a bug made of gold. And it won literary competitions. It was widely read at the time it was published, which was 1843. Two years later, The Raven would make him famous, but didn't make him very much money while he was living. He was born in Boston, but grew up in Richmond before moving to Baltimore, Philadelphia, and New York City. At the age of 27, he married his 13-year-old cousin, which is gross, but whatever, it was 1836. She died in 1847, which pushed Poe further into alcoholism, something he struggled with throughout most of his life. It's still debated whether or not he also struggled with drug addiction, but we know for a fact that he used opium at least medicinally at different points in his life. But so did just about anyone back then. Laudanum was opium. Some literary experts have argued that his use of drugs was nothing but a literary device. There was a doctor who knew Poe, Dr. Thomas Dunn English, and he was quoted as saying, Had Poe the opium habit when I knew him, I should, both as a physician and a man of observation, have discovered it in his frequent visits to my rooms, my visits to his house, and our meetings elsewhere. I saw no signs of it." End quote. And this is notable because apparently Dr. English was a bitter enemy to Poe, having previously been sued for accusing Poe of getting drunk, conducting ungentlemanly conduct, and forgery. 
which was a lawsuit, by the way, that Poe won and was awarded $225. So the guy that hated Poe said he didn't use opium. Part of the lore surrounding him was made from people writing about it after his life, especially this memoir by Rufus Griswold that depicted Edgar Allan Poe as an opium-addicted lunatic. Griswold was another man who had a long grudge against Poe. He was the one that submitted Poe's obituary to newspapers throughout the country, by the way. He did it under a fake name, and he wrote, quote, Edgar Allan Poe is dead. He died in Baltimore the day before yesterday. This announcement will startle many, but few will be grieved by it, end quote. What a jerk. So here's what we know about how Poe died. There's pretty sufficient evidence to suggest that Poe was an alcoholic and suffered from depression. At the age of 40, he was trying to raise money and interest for a literary magazine, and as part of that was traveling from Richmond to Baltimore and then was going to head off to New York after that. We know that he made it from Richmond to Baltimore somewhere around September 28th, but he would never make it to New York. And the cause of his death that October in Baltimore has been a mystery ever since. On October 3rd, 1849, Poe was discovered by a Baltimore Sun reporter, Joseph Walker. He was laying in the gutter outside a pub, Gunner's Hall, near the inner harbor of Baltimore. The man was confused, could hardly speak, and appeared to be under the influence of some sort of drugs. Walker helped to get Poe to the Washington Medical College Hospital, and the only thing Poe could say was a name. He kept repeating, Reynolds. Reynolds. He stayed there in the hospital while his health declined over the next four days, and he died on October 7th at the age of 40. The official cause of death was listed as phrenitis, which is the term they used for swelling of the brain. But the doctors also used phrenitis as the cause of death when someone died of alcoholism. It was a way of being polite and showing discretion. So instead of someone having died of alcoholism, they would say the person died of phrenitis. The theories about Poe's death and what caused it really didn't start until years later. And this was largely due to the fact that the world believed Poe to be a raving, opium-addicted lunatic. So it wasn't a surprise that a person like that would be found half-dead in the streets. But as we stated earlier, there wasn't much actual evidence that he was a habitual drug user. He was a drunk. He was depressed. We know that about him. But he was also a man on a mission with a goal in mind to get this literary magazine off the ground. In the 170 years since his death, there have been a lot of theories as to how Edgar Allan Poe ended up in that gutter. One theory is rabies. A cardiologist, R. Michael Benitez, laid out this theory in 1996 in a research paper. So apparently in the time before he died, Poe refused drinking anything but had only a little bit of water with great difficulty. And rabies is a condition known to cause hydrophobia. But it seems like that's really all he had to go on. That and a doctor visit for a fever that he had in Richmond before leaving for Baltimore. Other historians believe Poe had syphilis, and it's been known to cause madness. I also read about people who believe Poe died from meningitis, heart failure, cholera, and carbon monoxide poisoning. But to me, the most credible explanation comes from some experts who have linked his death with the Election Fraud Act of Cooping. And here's why. Poe was found outside Gunner's Hall. Gunner's Hall was a bar, but it was also a polling place. He was found on an election day. There was a local Maryland election happening. He was clearly drugged, and perhaps the most captivating piece of the puzzle, 
It was reported that he wasn't wearing his own clothes. Poe was known to commonly wear very nice black clothes, and he was wearing tattered used clothing that didn't appear to be his at all. So, if you ask me, after reading everything I've read this week, cooping definitely seems to be the thing that killed the mysterious Edgar Allan Poe. But maybe it was carbon monoxide poisoning, or rabies, or syphilis. Sadly, the world will never know. It's time for the part of the podcast where I call a friend, and today I'm calling Nicholas Decker. Nick is a foodie and a travel writer based here in Columbus, Ohio. He's very involved with the community. He's known around here as Dr. Breakfast, and that's not just a clever title. The guy has a PhD. What's going on, that's Nick true. Decker? Good to see you. Good to see you, too. I always I'm, like getting to share how I'm overeducated. <laughs> <laughs> what is your What is your PhD in? Is that in... Uh, nothing to do with food. It's in <laughs> theater history and dramatic literature. Theater history and dramatic literature. And and sort of how I came to know you is, well, I think we knew each other before this, but I used to come into yeah. your theater classes uh, like every, every semester at Ohio State yeah. and talk about what I do, talk about, you know, touring and magic. And they were consistently some of the best questions from those students that I ever got. Oh, nice. It wasn't nice. just like... So what's your favorite trick or what's your favorite yeah. city? <laughs> How did you do this? Yeah, yeah, it's it was like a lot of really great questions involving yeah. um, the relationship between audience and stage and all these different things. Yeah. And I love that stuff. Like yeah. I could talk about, you know, the theater aspect of magic forever, probably sure. because of some sort of insecurity that all magicians have about it being <laughs> a legitimate art. Needing to like talk through. Yeah, like this is this is how this is a actual type of performance and how it yeah those those were i love those days in, in lecture a because i didn't have to lecture because it would just be a fun performance but <laughs> right it's just it was great to make those connections especially you being an alumni and sure. having students get to you know make those connections with you and see what you do it was those were always so fun now what was the big thing that shifted you from that toward you know food blogging and and making that more of a focus um, they so I started they initially they're running concurrently so I started when I graduated OSU and then I got hired back as a lecturer literally the same month that I walked in graduation I uh at, for fun like apparently I needed another writing project after finishing a dissertation I we were still like relatively new to Columbus and so I just I started a blog to write about breakfast places that we had been to because like historian I gotta write it down got a document so you can share and um they kind of ran concurrently and then I was adjunct faculty for seven years and it hit a point where um I think they realized it was cheaper to just hire a fresh grad student than to keep paying me so um my contract uh just ran out and stuff which which was ended up being fine with me I switched over to another job and that freed me up to do much more of the food travel writing and honestly I've, I've loved getting to to do that even if it's not full-time it's still such a cool way to explore the city and to travel and everything. Yeah. And we'll talk about the travel aspect here in a little bit, because so many of our listeners are from outside of the the Columbus, Ohio area. Oh, but before yeah. we do that, let's get into our quiz today. Um, awesome. So for the first question, we're going to play for a joke. So if you get it wrong, you okay. got to tell me a joke. It can be a stupid street joke, whatever you want. If you get it right, I'll <laughs> tell you one. Here's your question. Many people believe that Edgar Allan Poe died from something called cooping. Which one of these three options describes cooping? Is it A, locking someone in a chicken coop 
when they owe a debt, B, drugging people for the sake of getting them to commit voter fraud, or C, <laughs> making someone eat poisoned fish in order to rob them. <laughs> oh, man. Um, <laughs> they're, all, they're all so specific. I know, yeah. What an adventurous life he, he lived. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know the, the common story is, wasn't he in Baltimore and he was at a bar and he like collapsed in the street and, and died. That's true. So I'm going to go with C, that someone tried to feed him poisoned fish. The answer, believe it or not, it's drugging people for the sake of getting them to commit <laughs> voter fraud. This was a weird thing they used to do. Yeah. They so the you know the local like corrupt political powers would would <laughs> would hire these heavies to go around and collect vagrant people, uh, <laughs> you know, coop them up in a hotel room, and they would and basically force them to vote. They would drug them, give them all the drugs and, and alcohol they wanted, and then they would they would take them out to vote, and then they would change their appearance. They'd bring them back, put them in different clothes, take them Ooh. to vote again. So it was like uh, it was like human trafficking for the sake of of voter fraud. It was crazy. And, oh my God. <laughs> and one of the reasons that people think that Edgar Allan Poe did this is because the the bar that he died outside of was a polling place. It was oh. an election day, and he was wearing clothes that apparently weren't his. So, yeah. oh, that's right. Yeah. Now there are a lot of competing theories. Nobody knows how he died. There are a lot of competing. Right. Some people think rabies. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it was the guy the guy who wrote these mysterious stories sort of died in a very mysterious way but um reading about this you know I, I spent a lot of time this week like going over this and and uh reading about it like i'm convinced that this is how the guy died uh yeah. it just there's so there's, many things that that point toward it so yeah i mean even just what you're sharing that's that sounds like fairly credible evidence yeah. The fact that he would dress differently and the location and everything. I exactly. I thought it, yeah, I thought it was, it was definitely compelling. So um, <laughs> I'm pretty happy with the joke that I found in case you got that one right. So, so I'm going to share a joke, but you do owe me one. Here's, here's okay. the joke I found. Oh, this is horrible. Have you guys <laughs> heard about the new film ad adaptation of Poe's The Telltale Heart? It's rumored to star Benicio Del Floro. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so so horrible oh so many layers to yeah. that one. <laughs> oh my god i'm sorry for oh, that. okay well i you know i have two children who are teens or almost teens so yeah. dad jokes are my favorite thing because it makes them groan um there there's so many i i will tell this is one of my all-time favorite jokes I love it in its simplicity. So um, what's green and has wheels? What? Grass. I lied about the wheels. Love it. Love <laughs> it. I also, I mean, there's so many good dad jokes. I always love, uh, you know, I don't trust stairs because they're always up to something. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Um, <clears throat> for this next question, we're going to play. Uh, for a story about something embarrassing that has happened to you or something embarrassing that you've maybe been a part of. So Ooh, if you've got okay. one of those in mind. Um, okay. In the 1884... Pre uh, oh, what is... Uh, I can't even read my own writing. <clears throat> and it's typed, which is crazy. And, uh, so in 1884, the presidential candidates were listed in the New York Extra by comparing what? And uh, when I say comparing, there were, there were drawings. 
um, of of each of the candidates what a their hand size b their head size or c their shoe size hmm i mean i know i'm no expert in like the history of psychology but i know that there were a lot of theories that had to do with head size and how it corresponded to brain size and if I recall, there were ways that that was used in pretty racist ways to categorize some people. Um, so I'm going to go with head size. The answer is head size. You are correct. Uh, phrenology was all the rage. That was a that's big it. deal. Phrenology. So there's literally this broadside that's been preserved uh, that has an outline of each candidate's head along <laughs> with the measurement. And it was like, like a it's like a line drawing, like an outline. And it has a measurement from front to back and then another drawing side to side. It's crazy. Wow. Absolutely nuts. Ugh. I'm not voting for that guy. His head is larger than nine inches across. <laughs> Can like. you believe it? And I assume that you want the larger head because you're like bigger right, brain. Right. But I don't know. It's just a, a weird thing that they used to do. Uh, so here's a story I was thinking about recently. We were just talking about marching band and, you know, it's football season. Hmm. It's it's actually we're recording this on a football Saturday. Yeah. Um, so in uh, my, on my second year of the marching band, this was 1999. Um, hmm. this was the only year of my five years in the Ohio state marching band that we didn't go to a bowl game. Um, uh -huh. and the whole season was just kind of a weird season, but I was the lead out snare drummer. Um, okay. no, I wasn't. This was my, yeah, I was, this is my second year. Yeah. Lead out snare drummer. And I think I was, I don't know. In any case, it was the first year they had renovated the stadium. Um, oh, okay. so yeah. they lowered the field at Ohio stadium by something like, I don't know, 15 feet or something. Yeah. And in doing so, they had to extend the ramp that the band uses to get onto the field. And the ramp was not up to code for like oh, a building cool. code because it had to be too steep. And the way that they got around that was they had to put a gate up. So there's a gate on the ramp. Okay. And then it's special access only at that point. So the band has, you know, people have permission to go through it when there's someone, I don't know how the, the legal part of it works, but they had to have this gate. So, <clears throat> on a noon kickoff, like I believe we have today, is today a noon game? Uh, Maryland, I Mar think so. I think it's a noon yeah. game. Today. Anyway, on a noon kickoff, we used to be, you know, at the stadium ready to go at, uh, I think, 5 a.m. The drum section would start rehearsing, and we would go into the stadium and practice the ramp entrance inside the stadium, and it's still dark out, and we're doing this, and and we knew that the the gate was there. And so we had contacted the stadium people and said, Hey, we need to, you know, get into the stadium to rehearse and or practice and all this. And they didn't unlock the gate for us. So there were like, I think there were a few of us, but I remember sort of leaning against that gate to casually just sort of bust it open so that we could practice. And in my head, I was being a leader and, um, in, <laughs> and, uh, there was a stadium or a, a band, um, one of the, like the guys who wasn't in the band but but wore a uniform it was like a secretary or something who went back mm -hmm. and 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 you know he dropped the dime on us and ratted us out to the administration or whatever of the band so it was reported we got charged or not charged we got threatened with breaking and entering paying what? restitution all this stuff and um when the rest of the band showed up for practice at like 8 a.m. that morning uh we were just screamed at by the the director uh rest in peace uh john woods oh. yelled at us dropped f-bombs in front of the whole band i can't believe you broke the f and gate and all this stuff and oh um gosh. suspended us 
from marching in that game. So, you know, I was suspended marching and it was a Penn State game and it was rainy. I remember this (laughs) because uh, when it came to pregame, the band was not allowed to march on the field. And so I didn't miss out on (laughs) on pregame. And instead of Script Ohio, we played we played the song that we played at Script Ohio from our Mm -hmm. stands, from the seats. And the the guy who was supposed to dot the I, who, you know, it really sucks for him because they wait yeah. four years to be able to dot the I in, in Ohio. Yeah. And he he went and dotted the I in the Ohio that's in the end zone, like painted on the end zone. He went and dotted oh, that okay. I instead. Um, and then, you know, I had to challenge to get my position back the next week, I think. So, um, yeah, I was suspended from the OSUMB for a week back in 1998. No, this was 1999. 1999. Wow. Yeah. For for leaning on a on a gate and <laughs> breaking the gate, it was gate gate. We called it gate gate. <laughs> I'm and, sure they still tell that story today. Well, don't that's I don't know about today, but as of a few years ago, that it was still lore inside the marching band. You know, like <laughs> whenever you'd meet a younger person and they'd be like, "Oh, you're the guy that broke the gate." Um, wow. so not not the legacy I necessarily wanted to. to right, leave, right. But whatever you know, you get what you get. So there's my embarrassing story. Um, oh I was gosh. suspended, which is, you know, you think about like times that I've been in trouble with administrative, like school or law or anything like right. that. That's pretty lame. So I've been a good yeah, boy I, for all the things to get busted doing. Like, <laughs> yeah, never been to jail. Just got suspended from the Penn State game in 1999. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so uh, as you travel around, do you have a particular um city that that uh you can't wait to get back to yeah i mean oh man there's always like such a a big list of of places um just around ohio we have a lot of great cities i love going down to cincinnati it's such a cool city there's always so much to do um so we get down there at least a couple times a year um this past spring for spring break we were able to take our boys to london um Mm -hmm. which was their first time out of the country our first time there in almost 20 years and that's like our favorite city in the world so we are like like already we're planning we're like when can we go back there when you know because you know you go and then you have a whole list of other things that you want to do even after you packed the the schedule awesome well i've never been so you know shout out to our uk listeners and uh i can't wait to go i've i've actually only been to southern europe i've never been to the uk at oh all. okay okay so i mean i have lots of other places to go i have very strong dutch heritage so a trip to like to amsterdam for sure in the netherlands but to actually travel out into the country i know some places where some of my like great grandparents grew up and stuff like that so yeah um, that's, that's on the the list too. I love learning about that stuff. In fact, I found the the tiny little town in uh in England that where my family hails from. That's um, awesome. and uh it's called Nether, <clears throat> excuse me, Nether Wallop. It's like south <laughs> of London and it's in the middle of kind of nowhere and it's like, you know, they have the thatched oh, the straw roofs and like it really looks like something out of, you know, a 100 years ago. Right. Nether wallop sounds like this like polite British term for like a punch in the nuts. Like, <laughs> I'll give you another like old nether wallop. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. It's amazing. I don't know where the da- town name comes from, but now I'm curious. All right, so let's <laughs> let's keep playing for for this question. We're gonna play for a sticker. Um, mm. This is a uh, a three inch. The internet says it's true sticker. Ooh. It's uh, square and it's sticky. Edgar Allan Poe was the first person to use what phrase? Was it A, short story, 
B, science fiction, or C, cliffhanger? Ooh. Oh, I feel like I, oh, the English major in me is like, <laughs> you know this thing. Um, oh, shoot. I feel like I've, I've heard this one, and I want to say it's either science fiction or cliffhanger. And I, I'm going to go with cliffhanger, knowing how many of his stories are that there's an element of danger and mystique to them. So the I'm answer, this is crazy, but the answer is short story. He was the first person to actually put into print the name short story. He did it in 1840. Huh. So this was just, I don't know how recently it was discovered long after uh, another person had been credited uh, with, with inventing the term short story uh, decades later. And then someone uh, found that, that Ed Ground Poe had used short story to describe his short stories um, oh now, he did invent the genre of detective fiction, where there's a central right. detective character who analyzed the facts of a case. And he was a pioneer in the genre of science fiction, but yeah. um, didn't didn't invent either of those terms. But short story he came up with. Short Isn't that story. crazy? That's nuts. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? Um, so Cincinnati, you said, is a good food town where or a good town to visit. Where should I eat in Cincinnati? That's that's unique um oh man we uh we have so many favorite places there uh we for sure if you go there uh take a tour through the finley market we always love doing that okay um we we love the over the rhine neighborhood in mm -hmm. particular very you know well-preserved historic neighborhood um uh i love every time we go to cincinnati i hit up rheingeist brewery yeah. i just i really love their spot um but uh there's a cafe called cafe mochico that is um it's like a bakery and cafe and um the owner it's a i think a husband and wife that that own it and the wife does all the baking and she was um nominated for a james beard award for the great lakes region for like best bakery wow um, so we'll and it's a mixture of like a lot of asian influence and a lot of french influence as, as well in the baked goods so i definitely check that out interesting i don't think asian when i think to bake goods although right. There was a thing I had in Japan called melon bread that yeah. still to this day, the taste of it, I can, I can taste. Yeah. And yeah. I only went, it was a, like a kiosk in Asakusa. Oh, yeah. And the only reason I went is because it had a long line of non, like <laughs> non-white people, you know, like yeah, it was, a, it was like, yeah. okay, well, if Japanese people are, are liking this, it must be, yeah. it was insane. It was so good. Uh, and nice. we don't have anything like it here. You know, this sweet uh, um, bread. Go to, uh. Uh, go to Bell's Bread in Columbus on the northwest side. Bell's Bread. And yep. and do they call it melon bread there or does it have a different yep. name? Yep. <gasps> That's like a combined like Japanese French bakery. Um oh, and uh, my God. uh food and wine recognized it as like one of the best bakeries in the country. I knew you were the person to talk to for this. That's I'm, I'm doing here it. For. I'm a doctor. I'm, <laughs> I'm doing it. I'm a doctor. I love it. I love it. All right. So um We've got two more questions for this question. We're going to play for doing the dishes. So basically, if you get it wrong, you've got to do the dishes upstairs. Um, you got to leave your basement uh, cave. And then uh, <laughs> if I if you get it right, I will have to leave this basement cave and do the dishes, oh. which there are a lot. You, are right you not going to come over and do the dishes? Here? No, not doing your dishes. No, okay. not, not leaving the house. I'm um, the chief dishwasher here anyway. So this, you know, <laughs> lay it on me. <laughs> do it. Here we go. Back in August, someone came out with a new technology that they say will defeat election fraud once and for all with oh. Wi-Fi sniffing drones, literal drones to fly over polling <laughs> places and look for Wi-Fi signals. Who was the person behind this effort? Was it A, Donald Trump? 
B. Vivek Ramaswamy or C. Mike Lindell? Uh, <laughs> let's see. Oh, gosh. Now, who would be in the running to say the craziest thing? Uh, it's a three-way tie. <laughs> I, I'm going to say I'm going to go with uh, uh, Mike Lindell. Because isn't he still harping on election fraud? He is. The answer is Mike Lindell. He, um, <laughs> he, he displayed, this was in like middle of August, at some conference, maybe it was, I don't know if it was CPAC or something like that. He, he yeah. displayed his newest invention that he had someone build. And it was yeah. built in like a store-bought plastic case, you know what I mean? Like containing electronics. Yeah. Like it clearly was like some guy in his basement, you know, soldering this thing together for this conference. Oh my gosh. And he oh said, we're going to attach these to drones and it'll sniff out any Wi-Fi signal as if we don't all have hotspots on our phones. Exactly. As <laughs> if know? a lot of like election sites might are probably using Wi-Fi for some of their systems already. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it'll be in the news like... You know, Hilliard, Ohio, <laughs> voter fraud detection. The you know Dominion is using a Wi-Fi network called Michael Kent's iPhone. Right. Uh, <laughs> we cracked the case. <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, let's see. You went uh, two for four so far. Uh, okay. Is that right, or one for four? No, two see. for two four. Two for four. Yeah, right. you got head size. That's right. Okay, so two for four, and this one is the tiebreaker. So this question, Nick is for all the marbles. If you get it right, you're welcome back on the podcast anytime. If you get it wrong, you'll be banned for life. You're not allowed back on. Here's your question. I often see you promoting local eating establishments. Mm. Um, and I shouldn't even say promoting because these are, you know, reviewing, I should say, and talking about. Yeah. But what are your top two chain restaurants? This is a two-part question. And what are your bottom two chain restaurants? Ooh, 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 ooh. Okay. And this can okay. be, it doesn't have to be like a sit down restaurant. It could be fast food, whatever you want, just any yeah. sort of yeah. national chain. Um, so my top two chains, um, they're they're both fast food. We um anytime we travel, well now we have one in Columbus, but we love uh Bojangles, yes, which is a sort of like a little more southern. We see it in in uh, North Carolina. Um uh, we always love stopping there. I love their Cajun filet biscuit. Um, they're like biscuits and sandwiches, but, um, man, we are also suckers for Popeye's and they're the spicy chicken sandwich. Like there are multiple times last night, including where my wife and I, we were leaving the football game. It was late. It was cold. We were both hungry and we just kind of looked at each other and we we're like, well, we're going to Popeye's obviously. Obviously. Like, <laughs> um, duh. Uh, um so those are those are our top two we really like those bottom two um man i haven't been to a uh burger king in a long time i, I feel like their fries always taste like metal um i used to love their chicken sandwich but i try i try to stay away from that um the other one oh man we do love some taco bell so i can't uh i can't knock that um my other, let's see, least favorite. I'm trying to think of like what are some of the other chains out there. <laughs> yeah. Um, we stopped going to Steak and Shake. We used to go okay. there all the time. Yeah, that was like a favorite place with our boys because like you buy a meal and kids eat free. And I feel like something happened to Steak and Shake. It's it's broken at it's, heart. And it's our, but it doesn't seem like the restaurants is broken as much as like whatever their franchise structure is. Right, it's <laughs> something's just something, going on. You know, yeah, the past few times, you know, and this is years ago, that, but that where we went there, we were like, uh, I don't think we're coming back here. Like, this was a <laughs> bullshit. <so. laughs> All right. That is a, a good answer. 
Um, <laughs> I was thinking about this for myself, and I actually have kind of sit-down restaurant chains that I, I that I really like. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And one of them, my wife makes fun of me for it, but I don't even care. I love me some Red Lobster. Oh man, the the like cheddar biscuits. The cheddar biscuits. Oh, this uh, amazing, just amazing. Just sit down and yeah. yeah. Um, and, but it also there's some nostalgia there because when I was a little kid, yeah. like Red Lobster was the fancy meal that we would go out yeah. to to get. Yep. You know, we would like, oh, we're going to Springfield. Uh, so which was like, you know, the big next town next door. Um, yeah, yeah it was Olive Garden for us. Olive that was Garden, like the birthday treat. Yeah, I'll still love me some Olive Garden sometimes. Um, you know, their salad you just can't beat. The uh, so I do eat a lot of chain restaurants because as like touring, it's just sometimes it's just a lot easier. I want yeah. to not spend extraneous like brain power on stuff sometimes so one of the things that i'll do is um go to b-dubs and sit at the bar and like watch watch sports and and because i know i'm gonna get the same meal no matter what b-dubs i go to anywhere in the country no matter yep we we like um uh you know i prefer local coffee shops but we love starbucks for that reason because even worldwide i remember years ago we took a night train from London to Edinburgh and we arrived at 6am and the only thing that was open was Starbucks. Yeah. And like, but we knew exactly what we were going to get. And it was like, awesome. We can just phone it in and hang out and be comfortable here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as far as my worst two, uh, I think, um, I don't know if this is a problem nationwide, but our IHOP here in Hilliard is just, hmm. um, horrible. And so it, oh. like, I won't go, I, I will go to a waffle house before I hop any day. Yeah. I, I pick waffle house well before I hop. Yeah. Not, not saying say that, that one waffle house is great too. Not saying that waffle house is like, uh, dirty, but, no. um, it's also not clean and it's clean. <laughs> and, and, but the thing with waffle house is kind of like, you know what you're getting into. Whereas I hop <laughs> pretends that it's not a waffle house dressed up. Right. Um, so <laughs> it was like the slogan. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like Waffle House with a nice facade. We have a right. wood <laughs> yeah. facade on the front and right. colors. It's so. to look more like a diner, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's one of those things that that I, I try to avoid. I'm trying to think of what else. You know, I, that's those are the main ones. You know, and the other one, yeah. I actually talked about this with um, we have a mutual friend, Anthony O'Connell, six one four feast, who was I on was a couple just weeks on his ago. Podcast. Yeah, and we were talking about how we both love Ponderosa, and there are so few oh. left. And there's yeah. one in South Columbus and that I will, I, and, and again, all nostalgia has nothing yeah. to do with the quality yeah, of the 100%. food. Um, so that's another one on my, you know, on my list, but I can't really say that that's a chain anymore because if, right. it's a chain with like seven links. Like a- yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. I, well, I always find that fascinating in terms of like culinary history is like former chains that used to proliferate. And now there's like, two left like yeah. i grew up in western michigan and there was a drive through called Hotton now that served like 20 cent burgers and stuff like that and there's one left in southwest michigan and oh man there's a part of me that's like i would make the drive out of the way mm-hmm. to go to the last Hotton now that's out there <laughs> yeah and yeah and like you know if you're up in northern ohio and lima area and go to Cupies. Yeah, you know, and there's just a few of the those. racks in Lancaster, like racks. We had a racks yeah. in Urbana when I was a kid. Oh my gosh, completely forgot about that one. Yeah. Well, uh, it's been awesome talking about food at eight in the morning with you. Um, there's yeah. some some crazy <laughs> world events happening. I want to go watch the news now. So, um, okay. yeah. So that's a that's that's what the rest of my day is con- going to consist of. Um, can you tell me where people can find you online? And learn about yeah, your, your stuff. Definitely. 
Uh, my site is breakfastwithnick.com, and you can find me Breakfast with Nick on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Uh, I'm still on Twitter, but you know, I may bail on that. I don't think that does me any good, but yeah, uh, but I'm kind of right there Nick too. On Instagram in particular. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Breakfast with Nick. Uh, you know, when I used to go into your classes, uh, yeah. the, the entire class, he, you would say, good morning students. And they would all say <laughs> in unison, good morning, Dr. Breakfast. And it was the oh. coolest thing. And so, uh, <laughs> I'm going to, to end our, our chat here and I hope everyone will join me by saying, Goodbye, Dr. Breakfast. Thank you so much for coming and joining me, man. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. Well, that is all for this week. Thank you so much to Nick Decker for being my guest. And thanks to you for listening. Here's the voice of an election fraud sniffing drone. Thank you for listening to The Internet Says It's True. To listen to episodes ad-free and a week early, support us on Patreon. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash Michael Kent. If you learned something just now that you didn't already know, go to the Apple Podcast app and leave us a review with five stars and a few words. That helps us a ton, because that's how the algorithm works. I don't know what an algorithm is, but just do it! See you next week for a brand new episode of The Internet Says It's True! The Internet Says It's True would like to thank the Patreon subscribers whose monthly contributions help to make this show possible. Sean Brown, Joshua Endress, Dallas Ray, Bryce Swanson, Eugene Anderson, Jim and Joanne Martin, Mitch and Andrew Joseph Kemplin, and the show's official Emperor, Kick Track. The show is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Finite Music Forge, and all audio clips in this episode are used for education and commentary and used under Fair Use Title 17 USC Section 107. You can listen to past episodes by searching for The Internet Says It's True wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Kent. 